ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. So glad you can join me for a preseason preview. Peter King Podcast. I'm going to be joined by Miles Simmons, my partner in crime at NBC. And um, I think I'm basically the big criminal here, Miles, because (laughs) I've got a totally bizarre AFC home field team that I know that you were just itching to ask me, how in the world did you put the Jacksonville Jaguars the number one seed in the AFC. However, let me just tell you what we're going to do in this podcast. Number one, we're going to go over the AFC, uh, our seeding. Miles is going to argue with me. I'm going to argue with Miles. We're going to then go over the NFC. Then we're going to get to our guest. Uh, we are very fortunate to have had about, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes in Costa Mesa, California, a couple of weeks ago uh, with our guest, Cam Jordan, the uh, star defensive end slash edge guy with the New Orleans Saints. So we'll listen to Cam Jordan, and then we're going to come back, and before we get out, we'll go over our awards predictions for the season. And not a lot of outlandish stuff in the awards, but who knows? Um, you may disagree with some of them fervently. This just in, by the way, I'm picking DeMar Hamlin for comeback player of the year. And that is easily my most controversial pick of all uh, in my Football Morning in America column this week. Okay. Miles, greetings. How's life out there in Los Angeles? Uh, It's not too bad, Peter. You know, things haven't been too hot. It was a nice Labor Day weekend. I went to a Beyonce concert, not the one on her birthday where she had everybody in there, you know, all the celebrities in the entire world, it seemed like, were at SoFi Stadium for that. But I still did get to see my Beyonce concert. It was very good. She is the entertainer of our lifetimes, at least my lifetime right now, or my generation. Maybe I just would call it that. But good concert. Now I'm ready for football season. You know, it's the last time that SoFi is going to have me in there seeing a concert instead of a football game for a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to remind you when before Beyonce was Beyonce that uh, there was a time that Brent Musburger was doing a football game. This is a long time ago. And Brent Musburger was doing a football game and he referred to her on the the air, I think she was going to be on ABC or something. I don't know. 
she was going to be on something, and Brent Musburger was promoting this appearance. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to just love to see Beyonce. And so, anyway, I just leave you with that. My buddy Brent, and believe me, if I had to do the promo that day, I'm sure I would have said Beyonce as well. But anyway, be that as it may. Okay, so let's start with the AFC. And Miles, look, I'll lay it all out there. Um, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars as the number one seed in the NFC, or in the AFC, rather. And as I explained in my column this week, uh, I really wasn't necessarily thinking of that when I saw a longtime Floridian and Jaguars follower. He covered uh, t- the Tom Coughlin Jags a long time ago. Pete Prisco now works for CBS Sports. And I, I we were just talking as times we do on on the road when I see uh, other scribes. And uh, so I... I he raised the issue, oh, I really like Jacksonville. Okay, Pete, you really like Jacksonville. He said, just look at their schedule. And he said it that day, and I thought of it. If you've got 10 or 17 games against the AFC South, six, and the NFC South, four, you've got 10 or 17 games against the two worst divisions in football where I would guess, this is just a guess, that probably in nine of those 10 games, you're going to be favored. And look, things can change. They always do. But things can change in the course of a season. And even your tough games, you play Kansas City. You play them at home in week two. September 17, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Jacksonville, Florida. Humid. Probably 97 real feel. Uh, I... Is there a better time to play your toughest foe, you know, when you've been practicing in this for two months? So anyway, that is some of the reasoning behind there. Go ahead. Fire away. Well, I I don't disagree with you on the Jaguars winning the AFC South. And I think that your reasoning for why they could be the number one seed is actually quite sound, especially looking at the NFC South division like that. They should, you would think, win all four of those games, whether they're at home or on the road, shouldn't matter. But at least for me, when I'm looking at, you know, preseason this and preseason that, and it's like, I just, I try to go with my first instinct. And my first instinct this year is to say that Cincinnati is going to be the top seed in the AFC. And, you know, I, Joe Burrow's calf, yes, that's one thing. And you know, they, they've still got some things that they've got to figure out a little bit. But I just feel like when you had a team that was that close last year and that close the year before and it's not like they got crushed by Kansas City in that game that's one of those in the AFC championship game it's one of those where it's like oh I'll play here a play there and I don't love it when coaches say that but that's one where it actually does feel like a play here a play there well Cincinnati is going to win that game right they play that game 10 times last year Cincinnati probably wins five Kansas City probably wins five so That being said, I just feel like this is the year for Cincinnati where they're going to continue to take that next step. And I don't think that that means Jacksonville is going to be bad, but I don't quite see them being the number one overall seed in the AFC just because I, if that one, that one, I just, I can't, I can't jive with it, Peter. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the Bengals. Um, 
I, I mean, first, I, I, I want to say just one other thing in about uh, the Jaguars, and that is that this was the 12th, uh, 12th rated team in scoring defense. In other words, they allowed the 12th fewest points in the league. And that's a little better than I thought. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. one thing. And I think the other thing is the Doug Peterson-Trevor Lawrence marriage Man, that is really in full honeymoon mode. And when you look at what they did in the playoffs last year, I mean, the way I look at it is uh, they the, the last six quarters of the postseason, when they outscored the Chargers and the Chiefs in those six quarters, uh, that is impressive to me for a bunch of guys who've never played in playoff games before. And their game against Kansas City in the divisional round, and not just because Patrick Mahomes was injured in it, but their game was surprisingly competitive. And I just walked away from last year impressed with the Jags. Now, let's talk about the Bengals a little bit. I'm really interested in the Bengals. I'm curious right now because, hey, Miles, Tell me on Sunday when Joe Burrow, who, by the way, is one in four against the Cleveland Browns, mm-hmm. not that he's played poorly necessarily, but their defense collapsed in a couple of those games. However, one in four is one in four. And when Joe Burrow is being chased out of the pocket by Miles Garrett at some point on Sunday in Cleveland, I, I, I am just curious. Is he going to be able to find that second gear or that third gear? Or do Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, Zach Taylor, the head coach, do they want him to find that gear? Or they say, get down, get down, get down. Mm -hmm. Don't risk aggravating, you know, your calf muscle. Calf muscles are tricky things. So, Miles, I am really curious which Joe Burrow is going to show up, not to mention – which Deshaun Watson is going to show up because I think that is a huge issue right now in, in, you know, whatever we, we just don't know about both of those quarterbacks heading into the game Sunday by Lake Erie. Yeah, it's true. And you know, the thing about Zach Taylor and talking about Joe Burrow, when Burrow gets hurt and he says, well, it's going to be several weeks and it's okay. What does several weeks mean? Well, several weeks is several weeks. I, I don't know, Peter, what do you, I mean, like that, what does that mean? Right. Is that like four to six? Is it three? What counts as several now? So by all appearances, yeah. it seems like Joe Burrow is going to be out there behind center when the Bengals take on the Browns on Sunday but I think you make a good point. What is his mobility really going to be like? Because now it's not just Miles Garrett, right? It's also Zadarius Smith on the other side, the guy they traded for and acquired uh, from the Minnesota Vikings. So that's a big piece. And you have to factor in that it's now Jim Schwartz calling the defense's coordinator. It's not just Joe Woods. And we know anytime you've got a Jim Schwartz defense, that front is going to be hyper-aggressive. So I think you make a really good point here where it's, man, Joe Burrow probably not going to be at 100% 
just based on the fact that it's a calf, it's tricky. We don't quite know where exactly he is. And to this point, he hasn't spoken in the week yet. So we don't know exactly what he's going to say. And he's not going to make excuses. I think we've all seen enough Joe Burrow to understand that. But I don't know what that front's going to look like against uh, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, they brought in Orlando Brown Jr. And that's a great addition at left tackle, but still. And then you factor in the health of Joe Burrow. Yeah, that, that makes it really interesting. For whatever reason, Kevin Stefanski's teams have done very, very well against Joe Burrow, as you pointed out the record. So we'll see how it turns out. But yeah, I, I don't really quite know what to expect in week one. But I think over the course of the season, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to level things out and they're going to show why they have been the class of the AFC in the last couple of years. So the last thing I'd say about the Bengals is that I covered the AFC championship game and I remember thinking, walking out, uh, you know, after watching that game, I said, Bengals had 10 possessions and I just looked it up. Bengals had 10 possessions. Okay. They had what I would call three rip roaring possessions. You know, where they go down the field, Burrow looks like Burrow. Um, But here's how their possessions went in that game. Punt, punt, field goal, interception, field goal. Touchdown, punt, touchdown, interception, punt. Now, four punts, two interceptions, uh, not what I would consider uh, a good performance against a team that, as I say, has a good defense, but did not have a great defense last year, Kansas yeah. City. Yeah. And that's the last we saw of the Bengals. Now they enter this season with a quarterback who might not be 100%. And I just... I just don't have full confidence right now in the Bengals. And maybe two weeks from now, I'll say, well, of course, I got full confidence now. I've seen it, but I just haven't seen it. And we didn't see it. It was a rare B-minus game for Joe Burrow in the AFC Championship game. Hasn't had many of those in the NFL, but he had one that day in Kansas City. So we'll see. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that coin, so you say, well, what about Kansas City? Look, over the weekend, I started to hear all these things about Kansas City and, and Chris Jones and teams being interested and him wanting all this money and Brett Veach and Andy Reid not being willing to tear up their salary structure for him. Um, and I don't know where that's going to end, but it appears, it appears as though they will play Thursday night against Detroit. And look, you may know for sure by the time you hear, you know, you hear this podcast, whether, uh, you know, Chris Jones is going to play in that game or not, but mm-hmm. I would say it's trending toward him not playing. And then what happens? Do they yeah. seriously consider moving him? You know, I don't know. Those are good questions, but I also think that one of the reasons I picked Buffalo is that I just don't think that Buffalo for 
as crummy as the way that season ended, I just refuse to believe that Josh Allen is going down with any ship. I think Josh Allen comes back really strong. Uh, When I was in training camp, Josh Allen is practicing like it's a game. He, He is just a different dude in practice than most players are in training camp. And I just think he's going to take this team by the scruff of the neck and say, we are not going down like that again. I think their running game's a bit improved. And I think they are going to use Von Miller wisely down the stretch of this season and not have him be playing when he, whenever he does come back, say week five or so, to not have him be a, like a, you know, a 60, not that he was, but a, but even a 50 snap a game player, I think he'll be spotted a little bit more. So anyway, I like, I like the bills to come out of the, the AFC. Well, I picked the chiefs to come out of the AFC and I actually picked the bills to miss the playoffs. And I think wow. that the bills are going to miss. Yeah. I, and I've been thinking about this for a while and obviously, you know, I didn't go on the camp tour on every single stop. So I didn't get to see them practice, but there's just this element of weirdness that I sense from afar. That's maybe a little bit unfair, but when you have Leslie Frazier depart the organization, the way he did, when you have whatever happened with Stefan Diggs at minicamp, and we will maybe never know exactly what the issue was. But when you have your head coach saying he's very concerned about the player and basically implying that the player wasn't there and the player was there, but then he got told to leave or maybe he just left or whatever it was. There's just, I don't know, this this sense of je ne sais quoi that is just kind of bothering me with the Buffalo Bills. And I think with how competitive the AFC is going to be, I think the Jets are going to win that division. And I think the Dolphins are going to come out of there as well. I have them as my five seed, but I just, and that is obviously contingent on Tua Tungvaluwa staying healthy, but you know, I, we're just picking things here, right? But I just, the way things are going with Buffalo, the way things went with Josh Allen last year without Brian Dayball, where the turnovers were just problematic and it wasn't just the interceptions. He was fumbling the ball too. Sometimes yeah. those things just don't go away. And so that's where I'm kind of concerned with Buffalo. And I think because they're in such a competitive division, they might be one of the teams that end up on the outside looking in. And they could have a winning record, and this might still be the case, right? I mean, I don't think that Buffalo is just going to completely fall off a cliff. But given how competitive the AFC is and the nature of things and that sort of element of weirdness I can't shake, I don't know that Buffalo is going to make the playoffs. So I'm picking them to not do it. So... I have sort of a weird back end of the AFC. I, too, have the Jets winning the AFC East. But I had Buffalo 5, Baltimore 6, Pittsburgh 7. And I have Buffalo winning two road playoff games uh, to make it to the Super Bowl, winning in Jacksonville and winning in Kansas City. The teams that I didn't have making the playoffs that I don't feel good about Uh, Number one, Miami. Number two, the Chargers. Uh, You know, look, I think adding Vic Fangio and, you know, Tua doing all the work that he did in the offseason to try to stay upright for 17 games, I think both of those are very much pluses. Um, I think 
what really drove me, honestly, is my respect for Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I think Baltimore is going to come back very strong. Roquan Smith is going to be, could be the all-pro middle linebacker this season. I think he's going to have a huge year. Um, And I think Kenny Pickett, by the end of this year, is going to be a top 12 NFL quarterback. I think he's going to have a very good year. And, you know, he's got this young receiver, Pickens, who, in my opinion, I I think maybe he thinks he he told uh, Kevin Clark in the offseason that that he was going to be the – or that he is the best receiver in football. Um, I don't think anybody's better than Justin Jefferson, no matter what happens this year. But I do think Pickens to Pickett – is going to be, or I'm picket, picket to Pickens is going to be a force of nature this year. And I think they're going to figure out a way, uh, the Steelers, to win nine or 10 games and to get in the playoffs. But I don't feel real good about leaving the Chargers or Miami out of it. Yeah, it's interesting, Peter. I, I think we see pretty eye to eye on the Steelers here. And I, I have them as my sixth seed. And then I have them going to number three seed at Jets and winning a playoff game. Because one of the things that yeah. we consistently hear out of Pittsburgh is, well, they, you know, they may not have had a losing record under Mike Tomlin, but they haven't won a playoff game since 2016. And they haven't won done this and they haven't done that. That's like, I, I think that, and I felt like this was maybe an unpopular stance, you know, before the last few weeks, but it now feels like everybody is saying this. Uh, Pittsburgh's going to be good this year. Now, they're not really a sleeper team because I think everybody is awake, you know, when it comes to Pittsburgh. But yeah, I, I, I think you're on to something with the picket to pickens. You know, they also have really good other receiver, Deontay Johnson, Pat Frymuth, I think is going to be one of those guys. We start throwing in the conversation for top tight ends in the league. Najee Harris in the backfield. I mean, they've got good skill position players. So I can definitely good see them. young, young skill position players. Yes, all with yes. very good upside, you know? So yes, you're right. Yes. Yeah. And Miles, we've all seen them um, do it on the field too. So, Miles, I've got Buffalo uh, coming out of the AFC. You've got Kansas City. When we come back, we're going to talk about who we've got coming out of the NFC. And my number one seed is this offseason's Adversities team. And when we come back, we'll tell you exactly who that is. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 
for the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Back on the Peter King Podcast with Miles Simmons. So, Miles, I don't... I, I think right now that the best team, top to bottom, 1-53 to 53 in football right now, the best roster in football is the Philadelphia Eagles. But I picked the San Francisco 49ers to be the top seed with Philly number two in the pecking order. And the reason I did that is that I think the 49ers are really so used to the maelstrom around them. And they've also going to be the beneficiaries this year of having four games in their division. You know, when you play the Cardinals and the Rams four times in 2023, not forever, but in 2023, you've got a quarter of your schedule where you're going to be, I would say, somewhere between significant and overwhelming favorites in those games. I'm assuming they go 4-0 and in those games. And then you've got the Philadelphia Eagles I don't know that they've got a walkover game in that division, even though the yeah. the Giants have been awful in the NFC East in recent years. I think they're 2-10-1 and in the last two years, including 0-3 against the Eagles last year. And then, uh, you know, Dallas obviously has played Jalen Hurts very well. Washington has played the Eagles very competitively. And that's basically the reason why... I had San Francisco being the top seed, Philly being two. What say you? Well, on this one, we agree on the top seed. Yes, 49ers, I think, will be the the top seed in the NFC. It just seems like they've got a lot of good things going for them. And, you know, as much as we talked about Chris Jones for Kansas City, look, Nick Bosa not being there is a significant thing for the San Francisco 49ers. However... I think that the way that they can play with their personnel, you know, they've also got a guy in Steve Wilkes who knows how to coordinate defense. They didn't try to change too much from D'Amico Ryan's departing to go be the Texans head coach kept that, you know, four, three base structure, even though nobody plays three linebackers anymore. They, they understand what they need to do to be successful. So with that, plus Kyle Shanahan on offense and the, the weapons that Brock Purdy's got around him when you've got Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle, who's dealing with a little something, but Brandon Ayuk, who by all accounts has had a really, really good camp. And you can't forget about Trent Williams being your left tackle. That's, I mean, we don't think of him as a skill player, but because of how good he is, I mean, it really, really helps that offense. And I kind of do. So that makes me feel like, yeah, the 49ers are going to be at the top, but at number two, and this is like, a weird thing because it, it's just a feel and you know, it is what it is, but because nobody has won the NFC East for two years in a row, since the Philadelphia Eagles did it back in 2003 and 2004, when Andy Reed was still head coach and maybe some of our listeners weren't even born. I think 
that the Dallas Cowboys are going to end up at the top of that division and they are going to be the number two seed. And I think that this is finally a time where you saw Mike McCarthy move on from Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. And I think that that could put him a little bit more in tune with Dak Prescott as he's going to be the guy who's calling the plays. It's something where you could say, okay, well, is it more pressure, right? Where he's going to have to make all the play calls and then still be the head coach and do that, 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 that. But there are obviously plenty of successful coaches who do this around the national football league. And McCarthy has done it before as a head coach too. So I think when you have that kind of element, Dak Prescott is really playing for a new contract this year. I think those two things are going to add up and you have another element too with Dan Quinn still being there as a defensive coordinator, Micah Parsons, a defensive player of the year candidate. I think a lot of things are going to come together for the Cowboys this year, and they can be the number two seed in the NFC. You know, one of the reasons why I am not going to argue with you at all is that, you know, if you look at the recent history of Philadelphia versus Dallas, you know, Dallas has won four of the last five. They've won those games by 25, 20, 20, and I think six points. And so I'm not in any way down on Dallas. And in fact, I think Dallas, I'm picking a Dallas-Philadelphia NFC championship game with Philadelphia Mm -hmm. winning it. But one of the things about the NFC that I think is so intriguing is that we're all sort of overlooking everything about the NFC Central or NFC North rather and NFC South. And I get overlooking the NFC South. Okay. Because look, I'm picking Atlanta to win that division. I don't, you can pick whoever, who do you have? I have New Orleans, you know, our, our okay. conversation that, with Dennis Allen that made probably threw me in there yeah. because he's got Derek Carr. Yeah. He's got the most experienced quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. I got, uh, I got a, uh, uh, a text on Monday after my column came out from an executive with a different NFC South team than the one I picked Atlanta. And he goes, I got no problem with any of your picks, but picking Atlanta over us is one of the most insane things I've ever seen. And I said to him, well, join the club. There's about 47 other people who've texted me today saying that something else is insane. So uh, you're, you're right on course there. But I think one of the things that we have just determined is, okay, NFC South, NFC North, not going to be factors. Look, there are those who think that the Vikings might be okay. I'm not one of them. I think the Detroit Lions are going to win that division. I don't think it's particularly important unless they lose 41-3 to on Thursday. I don't think they have to go to Kansas City and win. I think they have to go to Kansas City and play well, period. Yeah. But I think that Detroit has a chance to be one of those teams that gains momentum and it's a tough out by the end of the year. But I think one, two, and five in some form, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Dallas, 
whatever, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Dallas, Dallas, however you do it. I think there's yeah. three teams in the NFC that are really dangerous. Those are my three. What say you? Yes, I, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, because it is, for me, it's one San Francisco, two Dallas, and then five Philadelphia. And you mentioned that you've got the Cowboys-Eagles as your NFC championship game. Well, so do I, but I have the Cowboys coming out of it and going to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas as opposed to the Eagles. But, I, I mean, I think that you're on the right track. How about track the there. Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, Nevada? I know. I mean, will that be insane? It would be incredible. <laughs> I hope that my prediction yeah. happens. If it's Chiefs-Cowboys in Vegas, can you imagine? I would love that. I think that that would be a fantastic Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of teams from the AFC that would make it a fun Super Bowl. I got one other question about the NFC, and that is I think it was really, really hard to try to figure out, okay, if we all agree that the first seed, the second seed, and the fifth seed in some order are San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia. So Mm -hmm. here's now my question. Who in the world do you have six and seven in the (laughs) NFC? (laughs) I have the Vikings and the Seahawks. So those are, yeah, those are my two throws at dartboards. And I kind of feel bad for making the Seahawks seventh. Because I think that the Seahawks are going to be pretty good. I mean, you add two guys. I think they're going to be good. Yeah, and, and Witherspoon and, and Smith and Jigba, you know, as, as rookies, like I, I think that they could potentially be what the Jets had last year. You know, when you're talking about Garrett Wilson Great and Sauce point. Gardner. Great point. And two yeah. dudes that are offensive and defensive rookie of the year. I mean, I could absolutely see that happening with Seattle. So, yeah, it was kind of just uh, – at a certain point, I was just like, what playoff matchups do I want to see? And then that's how I did the playoff seating. But I, I, I've got the Vikings and the Seahawks there. Yeah. I, you know, I have Seattle six. Listen, I am, I'm not saying I'm totally all in on the Seahawks. I worry about their run defense. But mm-hmm. I'm mostly all in on the Seahawks because I think their offense is going to be better. Geno Smith, if you listen to him on our podcast last week, And he tells you, hey, listen, I'm leaner. I'm going to run it a little bit more this year. I'm going to be a little bit more mobile. I think that is a really smart thing by him and adding Jackson Smith and Jigba. I like them as a six seed. I will not be shocked if they shock the world uh, and win a playoff game or two. My seven seed, as I said, it's a dart throw. I pick Green Bay. I think Green Bay's defense by the end of this year is going to be a top four or five defense in the league. They're going to bail out a young quarterback who, if he plays B-minus football with a very good defense, I could definitely see them winning nine or ten games and sneaking into uh, the seventh seed. And look, I understand everybody who likes the Vikings, I've heard from probably 15 of you, uh, by email or reaction on social media. Uh, I understand that there's just something about that team at the end of last year I didn't like. I didn't like how Kirk Cousins played late. And uh, I just, I didn't like the defense. And I look at it and I think 
I, they're a little older on defense. They lose Kendricks. They, I, I just, I think there's a lot to be skeptical about with these Vikings. But again, we'll see. <clears throat> in any case, I don't think they make a long playoff run if they're in it. So, Miles, you've got the Cowboys going out of the NFC. I have Philadelphia. I have a Philadelphia Buffalo Super Bowl. You have a Dallas-Kansas City Super Bowl. I'll tell you what. I'll take either one of those matches right here, right now, because that would be so much fun for the first Super Bowl ever in Sin City. So we'll see if one of us is right. So we're going to transition right now. We're going to go into our conversation. Cam Jordan, a veteran who showed no sign of stopping for the New Orleans Saints. He keeps being impossible to block consistently. We met up with him at the uh, hotel that the New Orleans Saints were staying in in Costa Mesa, California, out for a preseason game and joint practices against the Chargers. And here's my conversation with Cam Jordan. Peter King in training camp with the New Orleans Saints. I'm very happy, actually, that I'm not in New Orleans because it's about 140 degrees right now. We're talking to Cam Jordan of the Saints here in Newport Beach, California. It's kind of a lovely morning, a little bit overcast, but about 30 degrees cooler than it would be in New Orleans right now. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, more like a Seattle morning. Yes, and it is, isn't it? It becomes a California day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're very used to those. You went to Cal. Mm-hmm. You know, before we start talking about the New Orleans Saints and about Cam Jordan, I have to give you an idea that a Stanford man had yesterday. Oh, that's, You're going to hate gonna this, aren't like you? It's not going to be good. Mr. Cal. But here's the idea. Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you think about what's happened to the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever? He was totally disgusted. Right. And he goes, I think a good solution would be to put Cal, Stanford, Northwestern, Duke, Vanderbilt, SMU, you know, schools like that in a conference and just have that be football only and have that be a football conference because those are like schools. What, A, is your reaction to the Pac-12 getting totally blown up? And B, what do you think a solution is? Um, you know, the pack, I, I, luckily I left before it even became the pack 12. It was pack 10. So I never really, yeah. I never really uh, recognized Utah or Colorado being a part of our situation. Yeah. And they left anyways, along with what, eight other, six <laughs> other schools. Yeah. Um, so you figure this final four, the solution that he presented, I'm only going to be counter that just because he's a Stanford guy. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it's creating a very pretentious elitism type, uh, uh, conference, I don't know if I agree to it, especially with all that private money flowing throughout Stanford and SM, likes of SMU versus a Northwestern and a Cal. Um, you know, I can see I can see where he's coming from, and it sounds decent. But just because he's a Stanford guy, again, I'm, I'm just going to be the opposite <laughs> of it. I, I I I'm more averse to somewhere in there just creating like a West Coast conference just for travel sakes. You yeah. know, um, I think that possibly like if you absorb Boise State. Maybe pulled in San Diego State um, and sort of went along the routes of, 
I mean, Fresno State, like just just start just start amassing everybody on the West Coast and make it sort of just, yeah, you know, an easy travel situation for those kids that love being on the West Coast, want to stay in the West Coast and play, and let their parents travel too. But like I said, I'm, I'm thinking of the people. Are are you are you? Do you think it's just ridiculous that the soccer team at USC or whatever? has to go 3,000 miles to play a soccer game in front of 200 people at Rutgers or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's just it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was just thinking from from the school's perspective of being a student athlete, you're now leaving days in advance. And some schools, you know, it's going to be tough to, to move those tests around. It's going to be tough yeah. to try and study in, on the road. Now it's not a, it's not a quick, you know, leave – Friday night, come back Saturday night. It's a leave Thursday and come back Saturday, you know, so hopefully Saturday night, but really a Sunday morning. Kids' sleep schedule is going to be off just traveling alone. It's not it's not like a one- or two-time thing. It's a every other week or whatever you have to travel. I think the big surprise is that these schools have not thought of the students. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a big surprise. <laughs> big biz is going to big biz, you know. Yeah. Um, it's At some point, especially uh, in this landscape now, Dollar signs over over feelings. Okay, so let's go to Cam Jordan. So I think one of the really interesting things about your career is that you've played your career largely on artificial turf, and you've only missed two games in 12 seasons. Think about that. Did artificial turf have anything to do with those games? I don't know. But I'm just asking... Whatever it wouldn't matter if you were playing on pillows. Mm-hmm. My whole point is, how in the world do you play twelve years at a position where you're getting beat up? Where I'm beating people at, up, and you're also beating people there up. We go. But you have played, I think, now two hundred and three games total, including playoffs, and you've only missed two. Right? How does that happen? I'm upset about the missing two part. One was from uh, from COVID, and I felt fine the entire week. Had, like, a negative test, like, twice within that week. I just couldn't give them back-to-back. And then, like, two weeks later, they're like, hey, if you got COVID, you can go play any, play now. And I was like, wait. I was just outside of it. Um, and then last year, I broke an orbital bone, had an orbital bone fracture in, uh, in the left eye. Did it at the Pittsburgh game. Played another half on it. So, like, it's not that serious. Maybe it is. You know, we'll talk about it later later on in life. Yeah. But um, missed missed that game. Got got held out that game, and I was like, no, I can play. Just is what it is. You know, I've been I've been lucked. I've, I've been lucky. I've been blessed. Um, a lot of great things have gone gone my way. Being drafted to the New Orleans Saints, I try and tell people I'm I get nine games guaranteed of perfect conditions. You know, the artificial turf, great. It's gonna be seventy degrees inside the dome. The lights are always gonna be bright. You don't have to worry about wind. Um, I keep saying dumb elements, but dumb elements like yeah. the game we played in Cleveland when it's negative twenty something. It was the dumbest game I've ever played in my life. Midwest people always talk about like real football when when the snow comes. That's because they have to. They have to say <laughs> something to bolster their confidence. <laughs> I'm born. I'm, I was born in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. I left when I was four. Went back when I was like ten or eleven. I thought you were born in Chandler, Arizona. No, I'm from I'm from Chandler. Okay, all right. Pops played for the Vikings for 13 years, and yeah. so all the Steve kids Steve Jordan, the former tight end. Six-time Pro Bowl. Okay, uh, was Steve Jordan as durable as you? Did he miss games? I don't know. I, I'd say he missed a few. Yeah. He missed a few. But, you know, just thinking about it, like, left when I was four, and 
right around 10, we were like, we want a white Christmas. Went back for a white Christmas. I was like, hey, if we never have a white Christmas again, we're all okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, snow is over. You had here. one. One's plenty. Yeah, one is one is more than enough. It's in the memories. And I was like, I wasn't that fun. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with New Orleans. I'm in love with Arizona. I'm in love with Florida weather. Yeah. Anything beyond, you know, October, November, December, anything north of, I'm not a fan of. Yeah. Okay. Who would you say have you learned something from about longevity and about continuing to play well, well into your 30s? Uh, I'd say rest in peace to the great Chris Dolman, um, Minnesota Vikings legend, of course. Um, guys like him, John Randall. Um, but, I mean, give me something that they either told you or you read that you learned about that person, Chris Dolman. We were in a we were in a hallway of a hotel during one of these Super Bowls, probably about seven years ago, and we were talking about a cross chop um, and how to incorporate it into a jab step or whatever. And I was like, "Well, how did you play so long?" And the greatest thing was, he was like, "It's not about how long you played; it's about focusing and trying to get get, get some aspect of your game better each year." So you don't really see the years. You just say, hey, I'm trying to get better here, trying to get better here. And once you've hit that plateau of I'm no longer getting better, I either completed my form or I'm now slowing down, are you okay with it or can you adjust? So let's translate that into give me, give me an idea for 2023. What do you think you'll be better at this year in your game? Transitioning through the play action passes. Because more times than not, I'm trying to head headbutt somebody. I'm, I'm Explain like, that. <laughs> Explain exactly what you so mean by that. So, in a in a of course in a play action, you know, you're going to catch a, a run look from an offensive lineman. Uh, offensive lineman, of course, being some slovenly figure that <laughs> they they deem said that has good feet, but it's not really good. It's just some slovenly figure said yeah. the Cal guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that goes through you know through his motions, and he's trying to sell you this idea that it's going to be a run play. Um, I enjoy it because I look for contact, <laughs> and I'm uh, I try and tell people you know there's a lot of there's a lot of edge rushers in this world. I'm a run I'm a run defender first, and then I'm a edge rusher, if you will. Um, I'm a complete defensive end, and there's not too many much too many too many of us left in this league. Um, so I'm looking for the run. I'm looking for contact, and then it's like oh there's a pass, and it takes me down by half a step. So just being able to know tendencies, being able to realize formations, you can speed yourself up that much more. Interesting. I didn't know. It seems to me you really have to react quickly. Mm-hmm. So when you are playing, thinking you're playing a run play, do you have to have it in the back of your head? This might be play action. Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, but that goes along with a little bit of film study, the pre-snap, uh, the pre-snap recognitions. And maybe, you know, you if you know your guy well enough, you know what he does. Um, I've become more averse to not caring about off the linemen anymore, just probably as, as you know, like an entity, not so much as people. I think they're great people. They're yeah. like quarterbacks. You're really not going to meet a bad person in terms of office linemen. They're really good people, really nice, big people, you know? Um, and they just happen to be big, so they were forced to play this position. Yeah. I also have theories on why you become an offensive lineman. There's no one, one kid in my life other than probably like Nick Mangold that woke up and was like, I want to get punched in the chest. You know? <laughs> like, ooh, I want to be an offensive lineman. Nobody has said that. Okay, so <laughs> I... My vendetta on offensive lineman will always continue. Yeah. All right. I really am curious about, and I've asked guys who've rushed against Brady, over the years, 
when you would rush against Tom Brady, mm-hmm. did you wake up on Sunday morning saying, I really want to get this guy? No. No? No, you wake up knowing you're going to be frustrated. Um, because he throws it away so so often. I mean, away, he's, his accuracy is up there. I, I don't know if away is the is the right, yeah. right answer for that one. He's, he's so well put together. His game plan has been so phenomenal over his entire career there's a reason why he's as efficient as he is been to 11 super bowls won seven of them or whatever that number yeah, is yeah um it's frustrating because you're like yeah, i could win 99 percent of these reps and 98 percent of them are not going to get even close to him yeah and that one percent you do get close you're like i got to make this count yeah um did you ever get him yeah a few times yeah. a few times he was sack number 99 and 100 for me wow right did you tell him I did. I did. You did? I did. What'd you say? Uh, I said, let me get that jersey. But we also beat him 9-0, to zero, so I didn't get that jersey. <laughs> I'm not saying I harbored it, but I may have harbored it. Well, talk, talk about it years from now. You may have harbored it? I what does have, that mean? I mean, I mean? You may have borrowed it? No, harbored, like the ill emotions I felt. You know, oh, 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 put into the heart, and maybe, right. maybe it's still there. I don't know. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about it when I'm older and retired and, and formulate these, these, these feelings that have been in, in the heart. Okay, 115 and a half sacks in your career. Woo. What's your favorite one? Uh, the next one? I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew you were going to say that. Um, but don't you have a sack that you look back on and say, that is the greatest play I ever made? Yeah, somewhere in practice about six years ago, I hit Drew Brees, and I was like, I've been meaning to do that. And I had it like, <laughs> like I was sorry. I was like, my bad, Drew. But I meant, it. <laughs> I meant all of it. Um, you just, wanted it absolutely. Like he's, quarterbacks live a great life. They yeah. get hit, they get hit on Sundays. You know their bodies feel phenomenal Monday through Saturday. And if a quarterback hits the ground seven times, somebody gets fired. You yeah. know, like. Yeah. Meanwhile, in a, in one practice, I probably hit somebody twenty times and get hit thirty times. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just a little jealous. I want to ask you one kind of serious question. The New York Times wrote a story this off season. Ken Belson about how it isn't just the big hits that cause head trauma and then later CTE. Mm. It is the 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 cumulative blows, you know, hit after hit after hit. Stacking you may punches. not even feel bad after getting hit in the head and say, boy, you got away with one there. But even though maybe you didn't feel concussed, that just adds to what ends up happening to you in life. And I wonder, how much of a consideration does that play in having you determine whether you want to keep playing football? Um, you know, when you start playing football at 13 years old, you don't hear, you know, 21 years ago, you didn't hear too much about, like, CTE, yeah. the, uh, the adverse effects of these concussion protocols, or if there even was a real concussion protocol. You know, that was, that was at a time where you know. You've, you've talked to athletes long enough. You'd be like, oh, no, my, my bell just got rung a little bit. Yeah. And you'd go back yeah. and play. You know, um, that was the, probably the last era of, of Warriors, and I don't know if that's a good thing, you know? Right. Um, how many guys have passed away from CTE, brain, brain damage, or just um, – at 34 years old, I've had you know a, a previous teammate of mine and uh, Paris Harrelson not wake up. Yeah, you know you don't you don't know what to uh, attribute that to. Um, and you see Steve Gleason, and there obviously there are others. Yeah, of course. 
heck, even if you know if you're just talking about just injuries alone, that just can get real traumatic in, in terms of how you feel about this game. Um, but it's also one of those things that you you realize, and I feel like because we're young, you sort of look at mortality like it's everlasting, um, and you're like, yo, it, it's not going to happen to me, uh, and you're able to live off that. But at the same time, there's clear science now that proves that all this will come back. You're just hoping at some level it's it's going to be okay. Um, it's at the forefront of the mind. And at the same time, uh, there's mental checks. There's again, that's the whole point of, of keeping your body right, keeping your you, you don't let your mind wander. You're always picking up the other avenues. The, the busier you can ha- have your mind, the yeah. more things you can formulate, the better. Uh, hopefully, in the long run. Are you like a, for instance, are you like a crossword puzzle guy? Jesus, no. Or are you like a puzzle, or what, do you do any things other than, that you would consider like brain activities, helpful brain activities? I mean, in my mind, I'm always trying to learn, so I'm always reading on something. Yeah. Um, And like, just had a call yesterday, I was like, hey, I ran across this, you know, this, uh, this little situation, I was like, I want to know more about it. And just the idea of learning, whether the, whether the, whatever aspect of it is, as long as you're continuing learning, I feel like you're making your brain active. Now, in terms of that, I'm sure there's science that says, hey, guys that do crossword puzzles live exponentially longer than guys who just draw cartoons and, and, and scribble in the notebooks. <laughs> but, you know, as, as, long as, as long as you're doing something, I feel like that mental activity is going to push through. Yeah. You know, I've often thought Bruce Smith a long time ago said every Sunday for me, it's like 60 separate car accidents. And he go, I said, well, geez, why do you do it? You know, when you're 55, you're going to wake up and everything's going to hurt. And he goes, kind of taking care of 17 people. Mm. You know, he had a lot of people who he was helping provide for, not totally. And does anything other than the love of football matter to you now when you determine how much more you want to play? No. Um, I think this contract was the first contract that I went home before even like, I was like, Hey, uh, you know, went to the wife. I was like, Hey baby, like, how do you, how do you feel about extending more? She's like, two oh. more years. Yeah. She, yeah. she was like, how long? I was like, well, two or three. And she's like, well, how do you feel about it? I was like, I'm good. And she's like, all right, well, that's what you want to do. Cause at this point it's not about the money. Yeah. Or else I'd probably be seeking a higher-paying contract. <laughs> you know who, said, who sounds exactly like you is Calais Campbell. Yeah. Said the exact same thing. I don't have to play. I want to play. Right. I like. I don't know how it's going to get. You get closer to season, or you get closer. You know, to to OTAs, season starting up, and you're hanging out with the fam, and you know you're tossing the kids up. And the closer you get to season, the farther these kids are getting thrown up in the air. You know, you're like, <laughs> you're like all right, <laughs> I need to start tossing around people my size because this this is like, you know, I'm tossing my son and he's like, I'm chucking him and, and it, the the throws are getting farther and farther away. Like he's landing on the couch and he's loving it. And in my mind, I'm like, I shouldn't be throwing my kid this far. <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> but so so as much as we wrestle, play around the house, like it's an outlet as well. Yeah, it's a it's a soothing combat sport, if you shall. Yeah. Okay, last thing. Tell me about your team because I think everybody sort of looks at the Saints and saying they really might be good. And but there's this mystery about how good you'll be in part because nobody really knows your division. Your division's bizarre. There's so much new in your division. Mm-hmm. How do you look at your team and how do you look at the NFC South? I mean, there's always going to be a- 
There's always going to be people that have opinions, right? Kansas City Chiefs won a Super Bowl last year. They're already, you know, there's already doubts that they can have a, a playoff run this year. What are we talking about? You know, it doesn't matter if you think you're if you're if you're high on the Saints, if you're low on the Saints. It doesn't matter what anybody outside of what the Saints locker room and the Saints players that are going to be part of this 53-man team are going to do because it's really up to us. No matter if you say, hey, we're going to go 17-0, and or if you say, hey, you're going to go 0-17, guess what that doesn't do? Help me make a play. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, we have 53 guys. Well, we'll have 53 guys after preseason as well as another 13 on, on practice squad, and we're going to have the same mentality of getting each other better every day. So when we get to the games, the games should take care of themselves. Because as we all know, on Sundays, any given Sunday, you can see the best teams get beat by the worst teams or the worst teams win against some of the better teams. Yeah, It doesn't yeah. matter. What does matter is how did, how have you created a, a culture in your locker room to survive these waves because rarely does anybody go a perfect season. Yeah. So when you have these adverse situations, when you do lose these close nail biters or when you do win the, clo- the close nail biters, does you, do you let it inflate your head? Do you let it depress you? Do you let it, you know, do you let the emotions be involved? Or are you even kill and you're able to say, hey, even though we won, this is the solutions to winning by a larger margin. margin. Yeah. Or you say, hey, we lost. These are the ways we need to improve so we don't f- face this defeat again. You know what is, I would think is really interesting, like if I were you, is thinking about playing against Bryce Young. The guy's 5'10". He was the first pick in the draft. That's how much this game has changed, that a 5'10 quarterback could be the first overall pick in a draft. Imagine. What is, what is Bake Mayfield? I don't know, six feet? No. I don't know. Five, I don't know what no. he is. But, I mean, look at Bryce Young. He's, what he's, is Kyler Murray? Well, Kyler, That's a Murray, one, Kyler Murray's one. a little thicker. But how Ky- tall is he? He's the same size. No. No, Kyler Murray is the same size as Bryce Young. They're not the same height. I think they are. I hear you. With his hair. Yes. Yeah. All right. But but I'm saying Bryce Young, mm-hmm. to be a 5'10 quarterback and to have a franchise say, you're our guy. Right. That's how much this game has changed, like, since you entered it. But did it change? Steve Young wasn't six feet. Steve Young was about six feet tall. About six feet is not six feet. Yeah. But Bryce Young has got. Wait until you wait until you see him across mm-hmm. the line from you. I mean, I I tower over this guy. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's just uh, it's going to be an interesting deal. Absolutely, it you might know? might work out to his his favor. Yeah. When you think about going against a shorter quarterback, and then you have a line that is six five. You you know the offensive tackle six five, the guard is six three. Everybody's in these six two to six six yeah. ranges. You lose track of him. Now yeah. you're now you're worried about where he's at. Yeah. And so you're rushing, one, against where you think he's going to be at, and two, I've lost him now, so now I have to retrace him. As a rusher, it gets frustrating when you're going against smaller guys and you have that that change. Yeah. Hey, Cam Jordan, have a fun year. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Much appreciated. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, 
hanging in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. So my thanks to Cam Jordan. I've always really enjoyed conversations with him because as you could tell, we could have talked about the dissolution of the Pac-12 for 20 minutes. We could have talked about, uh, you know, life in New Orleans post-Katrina 15 years. We could, I mean, he's just a fascinating, bright, and uh, compelling figure in football. And I think he's done some of it. I think he's going to do a heck of a job on television for as long as he wants to do it. But again, you listen to him, he's not going to stop playing anytime soon. I don't think anyway, but anyway, we'll see. (laughs) And that was Cam Jordan. So Miles and I are going to finish up the podcast this week uh, talking about our awards. And Miles, let's just do this. Let's do this in staccato fashion. I'm going to give you my MVP and then we'll go down each category. And then I want to hear yours. I may go back at you a little bit on this. But anyway, my MVP is Jalen Hurts. I have Patrick Mahomes and Trevor Lawrence being the runners up. As you know, the MVP every year comes from one of the high seeds. And, you know, it's voted on right after the end of the regular season. Has nothing to do with the playoffs. So I have the... Uh, all three of my MVP candidates coming from one of the top two seeds in each conference. What do you got? Yeah, I got Joe Burrow. And, you know, given that I I think Cincinnati's going to be the number one overall seed in the AFC, I think that that's in large part going to be because of Joe Burrow. So for me, it's Joe Burrow, then Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, the two runners up, then Jalen Hurtstack Prescott also potentially getting some votes there. Offensive player of the year, you know, it's always a weird category because most times, and I've, I've started to do this, if there isn't, if a quarterback throws for 6,000 yards, well, I'm probably going to make him the offensive player of the year. But most times I like to, you know, recognize a running back or wide receiver um, who's had a great, great year. And so this year, I got Christian McCaffrey, one, Nick Chubb, two, Jalen Hurts, three. What do you got? So we have the same sort of idea with our winner, but a different player on the same team. I got Debo Samuel because when he Uh talked about how he felt about last year and he said he'd never put that stuff on tape again and it was embarrassing and those kinds of things during the offseason program, just kind of triggered me to think, man, like, if Brock Purdy is going to be able to take this team to a number one overall seed, 
in the NFC, which is what I've got. Debo Samuel is going to be a huge part of that, probably both as a receiver and as a runner. So that's who I think is going to be off. You know why I think that's a really, I, I love that pick. Um, as we record this, there's some doubt about George Kittle's readiness for week one at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And he was banged up through, through all of training camp. And what is going to happen? They don't have a tight end. They really trust after Kittle to be a big part of the offense. So what does that mean? It means that Brock Purdy is going to have to look a little bit more at Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, as well as maybe some more wheel routes and, and pitches to Christian McCaffrey. So I'm very, very interested in, uh, in Debo as a candidate. My defensive player of the year I went all edge all the time. Uh, Micah Parsons over uh, Miles Garrett and over TJ Watt. And I think I went heavy on the pass rushers because in my opinion, we're, we're kind of in a golden age of edge rushers, of pass rushers. And I think these three guys are at the peak of their careers and they're all going to be playing uh, for playoff contenders, I think, down the stretch of this season. Yeah, I, I actually totally agree with you on Micah Parsons. And because I've got the Cowboys as the number two seed, I think he's going to be a big part of that. But my runners up are TJ Watt, because I think he's going to be a huge part of whatever the Steelers do and how successful they're going to be. And then Aiden Hutchinson, because if the Lions are like really going to take that next step, you know, and become a real contender. And I've got him as a three seed in the NFC. There's going to be somebody on defense who steps up and kind of makes that happen. Yeah. And so I think Hutchinson going into his second year, heard a lot of good things about him. I actually Detroit. love I this. Think he could be that. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. Uh, he had a really good impactful rookie year. And I think he comes back even better in 2023. Uh, my offensive rookie, I think the guy who's got, who's going to have the most, chances as a first-year player to make big plays is Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Detroit, 12th overall pick. But I've also, I've been preaching the gospel of Zay Flowers, uh, the 22nd overall pick from Baltimore. And then, um, because I think he is going to be superb. If he stays healthy, he's going to be a tough, tough cover. Uh, for the corners, especially of the AFC North. And then um, I gave my number three to Bryce Young. One of these quarterbacks, one of these young quarterbacks, and there's three of them who would look like, who looks like they're, they're going to be impact players from the jump. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be one of those guys going to play well this year, but who do you got? Yeah, I've got Anthony Richardson speaking of those quarterbacks, right? And I I think that because he's just so electrifying, you know, and and the last time that a quarterback on a team that wasn't even really that good, you know, still won uh, the offensive rookie of the year, at least it comes to my mind, is Kyler Murray in 2019. And I thought that A.J. Brown at that point really had a good argument to be offensive rookie of the year because he was so impactful on a team that ended up in the playoffs. But quarterback, it's the most difficult position, right? It's the most important position. We all know this. So I think 
because of the things that Anthony Richardson can do with his legs and his arm, he's just going to be electric and he's going to be such a fun watch throughout the entire season, regardless of how good the Colts are. He's probably going to win that award. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba is another guy that I think is certainly going to be in that conversation and be John Robinson for the Atlanta Falcons. My defensive rookie, I'm giving it to Jalen Carter, but I will not be surprised if a guy, America, has no idea who he is. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson, he's a corner who's going to start for the Bears and who had an outstanding training camp. Um, I saw him one day in Lake Forest, Illinois, and I'll tell you what, this guy does not back down. Um, Covering Chase Claypool, jousting with Chase Claypool, uh, doing the same with DJ Moore, was really, really impressed. I know they love Tyreek Stevenson uh, in Chicago. And then I had Willie Anderson, number three. So I could see Jalen Carter or Tyreek Stevenson winning it. Yeah, I've got Devon Witherspoon. And I kind of brought him up a little bit earlier as somebody who can be impactful and, you know, be that kind of guy for the Seahawks. And he's got, you know, a little bit of an injury concern heading into this week. We'll see if he plays or doesn't. But I think over the course of that season, when you see what he's capable of and playing in the Seattle defensive scheme, and I think Seattle's going to be a playoff team, it makes sense to me that he would certainly be a part of that conversation. And Will Anderson, too, you know, while I don't think the Texans are going to be all that good, I think that, you know, when we talk about him as like the quote unquote safest player in the draft, and he seemed to sort of take offense to that, but I think that it's more, almost <laughs> a high compliment, right? Because, yeah, if you're yeah. safe, that means we think you're going to be really good and we think your floor is very good defensive player. I think he's going to show that throughout the course of the 2023 season. My coach of the year is Doug Peterson. Look, if the Jacksonville Jaguars are the one seed, Doug Peterson's winning coach of the year. And that's all there is to it. It's not, it doesn't seem to be that complicated, but uh, every year this is a little bit, of what team uh, exceeds expectations or what team is lifted beyond what a lot of people thought they would be. To me, that's Doug Peterson. Who do you got? So I think it could be Kyle Shanahan. And I say this because I think at some point they're going to have to play Sam Darnold because that just seems to be what happens with the the 49ers. Yeah. Right. And if that happens, and if they if if Kyle Shanahan can take a team with seventh round pick Brock Purdy, despite how good he was last year, like he still was a seventh round pick, and then somehow he gets hurt. Oh no! Well, you bring in Sam Darnold, and Sam Darnold looks good enough that that team can still be a number one seed. I think that that would push Kyle Shanahan to coach of the year, at least in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Miles, our last category, and I only have one name to throw out there. And it's comeback player of the year. I think if when DeMar Hamlin plays his first snap of the season in week one against the New York Jets, he will have all but clinched the comeback player of the year award. But I don't know. You got anybody else who you think could contend there? Uh, no. And I think we all understand <laughs> why. I mean, I, I saw you Russell Wilson on you know your list and your column. And like, I guess in a very, very distant second, perhaps, if things go right with Sean yeah, Payton, then yeah. that could be the case. But 
Uh, yeah, I mean, what an incredible story. What an incredible comeback. And the, you're right. The minute he touches the field for one snap, that award is his. Well, Miles, uh, I just hope that no one on February 15th listens to our podcast from <laughs> September 6th. Because there's a very good chance that one of us is not going to get everyone right, you know? And so (laughs) at least, least, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it was fun to jabber about it for a little while. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I am really looking forward to a couple of things in week one. And I'm going to tell you what I'm looking forward to. And I want to hear your, your thought. And it's going to sound really weird. Okay. But the one o'clock game, Eastern time, Cincinnati at Cleveland, I will be all in on that game. And the reason wow. is, I don't know what to expect about out of Joe Burrow. I don't know what to expect, to expect out of Deshaun Watson. And it's going to be must-see TV. That's my one game. And then the second game, I just am really fascinated with Aaron Rodgers, and not only how he's going to play Monday night, but the reception, the the Meadowlands on on Monday night, the Jets, 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 Jets. Whatever happens in the game, and look, you know the Jets beat Buffalo last year at the Meadowlands with Zach Wilson. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's going to be a good game, but those are the two things I'm really looking forward to. Give me your thing or two that you're fired up about in week one. Well, I, I certainly will also be locked in on Cleveland and Cincinnati in that one o'clock Eastern window. Uh, but the second window, I'm really fired up about Miami and chargers, you know, because yeah. that game was really intriguing last year um, when Miami came out here and they played on Sunday night in SoFi Stadium. And the Chargers seemed to just figure some things out about Miami's offense, right? And for whatever reason, Miami really kind of struggled through that game. And it was the second week in a row that they had struggled offensively because they were playing the San Francisco 49ers the week before. So I'm interested to see what kind of adjustments Mike McDaniel has made over the course of the offseason. And then also I'm interested in the debut of the Kellen Moore offense with the Los Angeles Chargers. And will Justin Herbert throw the ball down the field? I mean, now he's not only got Keenan Allen and Williams, he's also got Quentin Johnson there. So those yeah. are three significant targets, and I want to see Justin Herbert throw that ball down the field. I, I've said this in many quarters in the last couple of weeks. Um, not that it's outlandish because he was close to Mahomes last year, but I think the best stat line by any quarterback in the NFL this year is going to be put up by Justin Herbert. I think he's going to throw for 5,000 yards, 35 or more touchdowns. I think he is going to have... An absolutely terrific year. Miles, we're going to have fun talking football this year, every week. I really appreciate you joining me. You up the quality of the pod monumentally every week, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the listeners, all the experiencers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And we'll be back to dissect week one in the National Football League next week. But thanks a lot for your business and watching, listening, experiencing the Peter King Podcast. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 